0: you may have previously listened to this podcast when it was called the PropTech ramble but we realized we were rambling about so much more than just prop tech so we're back with a brand new series and a brand new name the measure podcast by metricus just like the last series There'll be no bullshit, but there will be some rambling. I'm Michael Grant, COO and co-founder of Metricus, and I'll bring you a new guest every Wednesday for the next 10 weeks to get the measure of topics such as productivity in the workplace, building efficiencies, sustainable buildings, and ESG. No matter where you're listening, I hope you enjoy the new series and get some value from it. Today, we're joined by Liam Bates, the CEO at Kytera, and we'll be covering the productivity pillar in this episode. Liam, would you please introduce yourself and do a much better job than I would, trying to do it very badly?
1: (laughs) Sure, well, thanks, first of all, for having me on. I like to tell people that I used to, prior to working in the built environment, the indoor environment, I used to have the best job on the planet, which was basically traveling around the world, making travel documentaries and TV shows about all the most interesting corners of, of the planet. I still travel a lot, but now I instead of spending most of my time in the jungle and in the desert, I, I spent it. I spend it, you know, in inside buildings, <laughs> trying yeah. to make. Them better. I
0: think if I had the choice, I'd go back to your old job as well, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> needs, needs must. Maybe maybe when maybe when you sell Kiteria, you can go back to doing that and just do it for the rest of your life.
1: Uh, yeah, th- I mean, this is also good fun. It's a different type of challenge. <laughs>
0: it, it, it is. It is, and it's a very, very, very big challenge, and one that we all need to take seriously and address. So. Again, thanks very much for coming on, mate. It's great to have you. Just so everyone's aware, this series, we are covering different pillars. And so Liam is coming on to talk about the productivity pillar, and that's the benefits of combining indoor air quality data and insights with other well-being and moral sentiment indicators. So quite a big topic now, and it's growing rapidly. There's now a lot of science and a lot of proof that improving your indoor air quality increases productivity. People didn't, whether they didn't believe it before or not, I don't know, but now there's science and there's proof you can't dispute it. There's a huge importance on, on, on this, you know, that, again, Liam, you're a member of the International Well-Building Institute as well. They're doing a lot of great work also, but this this is a hugely important topic and we've already mm-hmm. got some questions. Uh, so I'm just going to start running through those with you, if that's okay, Liam, and we can start to give some feedback to people who who will be listening. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. So. Part one, we've got part one, part two, and part three today in, in this, people. So we're going to start with part one, then we'll obviously move on to two and three. The first part is, wh- why do we need to monitor indoor air quality in the workplace? Let's kind of start from the beginning on, the, on, on this, Liam, if you wouldn't mm-hmm. mind. What, why, why do you need to monitor indoor air quality in the workplace?
1: Before we say, why, should we me- measure something? I think you know the fundamental question is, does does breathing clean air matter? As you said, I think it's it's now a resounding yes. I think we, you know, hopefully there's no more debate on this topic. We should be able to drink water that doesn't have pesticides and uh, bacteria in it. We should be able to breathe air that is also, you know, similarly, not going to cause disease, lower our productivity, lower our health, or lead to premature death. Yeah. So, you know, if we can agree on that, and just maybe a side note here, uh, you know, around three million people every year die from the, the three, three million premature deaths every year due to indoor air pollution. So just the air pollution inside our buildings. So that's not even looking at the impact on productivity, the impact on how we feel. I mean, that's just the raw, long-term physical toll on our body. So if we can agree that clean indoor environment is important, yeah. then yeah. the only way we we're going to know if we're doing that is by monitoring. So, I mean, I think that is absolutely the first step we do spend... For many of us, the majority of our waking lives in the workplace. So, if there's one place that you want to to understand what's going on and whether or not your environment is good, it, it should be the workplace.
0: Yeah, agreed. And and uh, you know, you're preaching to the, to the to the converted here, and I think every single person who listens to this knows that. But you're right. There's 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 so much evidence now that if if you're if you're not doing it's it's more of if you're not doing this, why not?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's fun, fundamental. So you're involved in a in a big indoor air quality project. What are the What are the goals of that indoor air quality project?
1: It's important to breathe clean air. It has, as we just mentioned, you know, all sorts of impacts, long term, short term, how we feel. the The challenge is that it's often very hard to make change. It's hard to understand what the root cause of a problem is when it comes to the indoor environment. It's not like temperature, where you know, if if you feel well, first of all, if you feel too hot, you know it very quickly. We are excellent, you know, humans are excellent temperature sensors. You go, I feel terrible, it feels hot, it feels humid, I'm sweating. And there's, there's one outcome or sort of one uh, task that needs to be done, which is to turn down the thermostat or reduce the temperature or open a window or whatever it might be. But yeah. it's very straightforward. You know, if I'm too hot, make it colder, I feel better. Uh, the challenge with air quality is that, we are not necessarily very good sensors, human beings, for all these different things that are in the air. You could feel great in a room that's full of carbon monoxide until you suddenly die. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> humans are not necessarily reliable when it comes to all the different pollutants that are, that are that are in the air. And so, it's important to understand what are the different pollutants, and then understand how we can make them better. And the the, the thing is, it's really tricky because they interact in different ways. There are different sources. Sometimes turning up the ventilation to bring more fresh air in is actually just going to bring in smoke from the outdoors if you're next to a wildfire or a highway. I, I, I'm saying all this just to kind of paint the picture for what a complex problem it is and why the, if we are going to improve the indoor environment, what we need to do is first measure then we need to understand So we need to report and then we need to understand, we need to find patterns within the data. And then ultimately that's what's going to lead us to a solution. And this is a lot of the work that we do with big clients that might have a portfolio of buildings. They have too many rooms in the building to be able to easily identify what a a specific problem might be. The building the mechanical systems are too complex. Uh, Buildings are located all over the world. There isn't a one size fits all approach. And so I've run into a lot of people that have said something like, I started an IAQ project. I, I put air quality monitors inside my building and now I'm collecting this data and I have no idea what to do with it. It hasn't fixed any of my problems. And, they just know
0: there's a problem now.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Now I have a whole bunch of data which is telling me that it's not very good. What next? And so that's that's where, you know, a lot of the, the I, I think a lot of the efforts from, uh, you know, companies like Kytara, Metricus and everybody in this industry is, how do we bring all these data points together, make it easy to identify the patterns, what the root causes are. And that's something which is actually actionable because you cannot expect somebody managing a building to have a PhD in air quality, which yeah. is what you might need to actually make sense of one and a half billion data points of, of, of raw data.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a forever project almost is what it is, right? It's ongoing. It's never going to stop. You always, it's, it's it's interesting because Absolutely, when you yeah. when you look at, when you look at seasonality throughout the year as well, indoor air quality changes naturally because of seasonality as well. So it's not like you can do a month and then stop and then say oh, I've got all the data. <laughs> you you need exactly to. yeah. You also need to do it continuously.
1: So, yeah, we see we see a lot of a lot of uh, projects that say yeah. You, I, I brought in a you know, someone with a handheld monitor. They walked around the building in June and they left. And you know, in January, we realized that there was some fundamental problem that only comes in winter because that's when the, you know, the, the boilers are on or, or something is happening outside the building. It's a very, very complex ecosystem inside a building.
0: It, 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 it is. And the bigger it is, the more complex it is. So right. it's, uh, it, it does, it's, it's where you need to spend a lot of time, have resource, have knowledge, have data, and have some expertise to help make some decisions based on the data.
1: I think that's yeah, and that's that's where the you know the importance of having good tools really comes in because yeah, it's, it's, it's not realistic to to have to have the entire building industry elevate expertise to a level where they're going to be able to decipher this. So that's you know that's personally where I spend a lot of my time is yeah. on saying how can we transfer the expertise that exists within people on our team that have been working on this for ten years into a piece of software that does the work for you because yeah. otherwise it's, it's it's going to be hopeless. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and, and when you've got a bank, a bank doesn't want to become an indoor air quality expert company. They are a bank. They want to make money from finances and leasing and buying properties or selling properties or whatever yeah. banking and finance piece they might, might might be in. They don't want to become indoor air quality experts. But absolutely, they do want, <laughs> they do want good indoor air quality, but they just don't want to become experts. Not not yeah. their bread and butter. So yeah. yeah. I've got a follow-up question here on why do we and why should we monitor indoor air quality in the workplace? And the question is, what real-life experiences have you seen, or consequences as well, have you seen from organisations that don't measure indoor air quality? It's a bit of a loaded <laughs> question, almost, but an obvious one. But some people still listening to this may not have seen them or may not have heard about them. So I think it's good for to to you know share what what we have and haven't seen.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, this, yeah, I, I like this question because I'd say in a way, the question is flawed. The reality is that organizations are measuring their their air. They're just often not being measured by the people that should be measuring them. Or you might know that you might not know that they're being measured. So over the last few years with COVID, there's been a huge increase in the number of monitors that are on the market. Uh, you, you go to Amazon and it comes up with a banner at the top. I went on this morning and it was check out our new air quality monitor. So <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, there are more and more people with these things in their hands. And the reality is that if you're a building owner operator, um, or an employer and you're not measuring your error, the reality is that somebody in your building probably is already. And you do not want to be the last person to find out if there's a problem. So I'll just tell you a little story here. So I remember a few years ago when, uh, Our our company actually started with a focus on consumer monitors many years ago. So we are making essentially the first affordable, not $5,000 monitors for consumers. We're we're now 100% focused on on, uh, sort of more B2B in the built environment, but originally we started in the consumer space. And I remember going to Shanghai once and I was at some dinner and I met the the, uh, managing director of this uh, very, very large international school and we were... You know, having a pleasant dinner, sitting next to each other. I gave him my business card. He looked at it and he went, "Oh, you! I hate you." <laughs> <laughs> <A> strong reaction. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, well, "What? What?" He goes, "You've made my life so hard because you know, two years ago, no one was talking about air quality, and now I get all these parents that send their children into school with air quality monitors, and then they come to me with complaints about the air not being good enough and." you know ironically they actually were doing quite a good a good job with their air um but they weren't measuring it they weren't publicizing it and what you end up with you know little johnny that goes to school with an air quality monitor in his backpack sitting next to his you know sandwich for lunch of course it's not measuring good air you know it's in a backpack yeah uh, but i think you know that was that was a very rare case a few years ago when i saw that but that is exactly what is happening now in businesses all around the world, uh, especially if anyone's listening to this on, on the west coast of, of the U.S. where wildfires are a serious concern, the odds are that most of your, or at least a large number of um, the occupants of this building have something at home to measure air quality. Now, whether or not it's good is another question. And and so you know, the, this is one of one of the consequences of not measuring is that you People will come and tell you that you have a problem, and that's not a situation that you want to be in. You want to be the one measuring proactively, improving, communicating to people, uh, et cetera. So, so, I mean, that's just kind of a, a, a funny story, but obviously there's, there's all the risks from, you know, not measuring, you're unable to make sure that your, your building is performing as it should be, uh, that if you can improve your air, there's fewer sick days, uh, higher levels of happiness higher levels of comfort higher levels of productivity i mean there's a wealth of data there that I, I won't get into
0: yeah but to your point about the students bringing in indoor air quality sensors the the school has to prove that they're doing better right because even if it's not the best sensor in the world i mean ikea in the uk is selling them for 10 pounds now they're not right. going to, they're not going to be great sensors it just shows red amber green on an led yeah. Until you can prove differently, someone's come in and the indoor air quality LED is red, prove to me that it's better than my IKEA sensor. So yeah. good quality sensors or good quality devices with good quality sensors in them that have accurate readings is hugely important because otherwise you are on the back foot. You then have to go and prove to everybody that you've got better indoor air quality than people are saying you do, but but you're on the back foot.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's something that you want to get out in front of.
0: Exactly yeah. right.
1: So there's always...
0: And we may not want to call them out, out here, but are you seeing a trend in more companies that are doing it, that aren't doing it? What, what What's kind of the mix that you're seeing? I mean, we we, we see different things with different customers, but what, what are you seeing personally within Quiteria, the, the mix of the doers and the laggards or the people who will be dragged into a kicking and screaming?
1: <laughs> yeah, so definitely overall adoption of, i, I say we, we recently did a lot of research on, on this front. And overall adoption in terms of the number of the percentage of businesses that are planning to do more when it comes to measuring their air, that are planning to do more um, in terms of improving their air and that have budget allocated for this has gone up significantly and it continues to go up. It's it's not just sort of a a peak during COVID when there is a a concern about this. This is now here to stay and there's an awareness that this is a a long-term problem. So there are more and more companies that are making these decisions. I'd say the companies that are at the forefront of this, unsurprisingly, are tech. Uh, Big tech is is definitely at the forefront. Um, Definitely seen uh, some financial institutions as well. I'd say anybody that that, uh, large firms that care about employee attraction, retention, Uh, also, of course, there's a sustainability angle on this, Um, ESG, this general direction, the companies that are investing in this direction will generally be very, very open to and actually proactively looking for and adopting solutions to increase the indoor in- or to improve the indoor environment. The the, the laggards, of course, would be the, the people that, uh, you know, still still aren't talking about sustainability. Yeah. Um, S- still are, uh, you know, the majority of offices, you cannot see daylight, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I agree with that hundred <music> percent. Moving on to part two, the next part is about how indoor air quality or IAQ can be used with other data to improve productivity and wellbeing. And the first question in this part is, what can IAQ data tell us about the workplace?
1: A lot. <laughs> say productivity and well being are massively driven by IEQ, so indoor environmental quality. And IEQ is really the biggest component of the indoor environment. Um, we've all had that feeling where you, you walk into an office space and it just feels good. Uh, it, something feels different. And, and that is the combination of all these different things in the environment. It could be light. Acoustics, air quality, uh, thermal comfort—really, uh, all of all of these different factors. And indoor air quality is is, is massively important there. Now, when you it gets interesting when you start to combine it with other uh, parameters that are being measured in the workplace. The the most o- obvious one is occupancy. With clear occupancy data, there's well, first of all, you can you can look at what is the air quality of occupied spaces because. There's an argument that I really don't care about the air quality of unoccupied spaces. There's no human inside. Who cares what's going on in there? Um, And so that allows you to have a much more targeted approach in terms of the improvements that you take. You don't want to be saying, in this building, CO2 levels are too high, thus we're going to ventilate more. All you want to know is, are the people in the building breathing high levels of CO2? And so it's really important to, to, to combine both of these data sources. Same thing, of course, energy, if you can pull in data from energy meters, uh, IAQ is is a, a huge part of energy consumption within a building, HVAC system, of course, usually being the, the largest contributor to energy consumption. And a lot of that is unfortunately wasted on ventilating spaces that don't have people in them that don't need to be ventilated. Of course, you can start to look at uh, bringing in what the future occupancy will be from things like, um, um, calendar bookings, um, when rooms will be occupied. And that's where really there's, there's a lot of potential to just reallocate resources so that you're not, you're not doing any more. You're not consuming more energy. Um, you're not putting in new mechanical equipment or making any massive changes, but you're able to, uh, provide a much better experience for the occupants and also lower your, your energy costs.
0: Let's forget about sensor data for a moment. What other moral or sentiment indicators can we compare IAQ with to cover insights?
1: Tricky question. Um, <clears throat> so I think the obvious one that we see quite often is, is just occupant surveys. If you look at the, the several of the, the building standards, um, occupant surveys are a really important part of the equation. I mean, as I was saying earlier, you know, some some things sensors, I know we said we're going to forget about sensors, but some some, some (laughs) things sensors are very good at measuring and other things humans are much better at measuring. Two people in the same room with the same absolute temperature reading can both feel very different. So which one should you care about? Well, realistically, you should should care about both, but definitely you should take into account how the people are feeling. So especially around thermal comfort, uh, any sort of I think it's, it's important to be able to close the feedback loop, be it through surveys, be it through immediate feedback by tapping on a screen that says, I'm too hot, I'm too cold, the room feels stuffy, the room feels great. I have this, it, just remembering uh, an experience a, a few years ago, and I was in a, I was waiting for a flight or something, I was in a mall, and thought, I just need a coffee shop to sit down and do some work for an hour, get a coffee. And... You know, there there were uh, there were two coffee brands which you know we, we won't name, but very familiar, <laughs> and uh, sort of one on the right, one on the left, both very well known. And I walked into the the one on the right, and something about it just didn't feel right. And this was you know the human sensors going off; it just yeah. felt uncomfortable. It, and I still can't put my finger on what it was. And um, again, we're imperfect sensors, but. That you have this feeling. And so I remember just going inside, standing there and being like, I don't really want to sit here. And so I thought, well, let me check the other one. You know, at the end of the day, the coffee's all the same. Uh, the Wi-Fi's all the same. So I walked into the other one and immediately felt completely different. Uh, and this was sort of a trigger that got me thinking. I was like, okay, well, this has got to be measurable, right? Well, th- there's actually a bunch of criteria behind this feeling that I just experienced. And of course, it it is it is all those things, right? Temperature and CO two levels and uh, odors, which are tied to VOCs, and, and all these these different things. Um, so, it can be hard to tie all of the different data points to the sentiment. But again, there's 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 an absolutely no doubt in my mind or in the scientific research that all of these things do massively impact how we feel. And yeah. and in this particular case, also you know, impacted my, my purchasing and spending decisions and impacted, you know, somebody's revenue based on how I felt as I walked into that coffee shop.
0: You are right, people, the, that doesn't matter. And every single person is different to everyone else, right? So how right. I might feel somewhere, you might feel slightly different, you know? Right. If it's hot, we're both gonna feel hot, but the, the environment-wise, we might, we might feel slightly different. So the final part, how can IAQ data inform decisions from day-to-day operations to real estate portfolio planning? So essentially yes. question number one, how can IAQ help inform day-to-day operational decisions?
1: The reality is that there, there I mean, I said this sort of at the very beginning, you know, air quality is is complex. There are many different parameters that have many complex interactions. Um, but the reality is, is that if you can find the patterns Sometimes the solutions are dead simple and they're very low cost. And so, again, just anecdote. I remember the, the first time in my own house, I was trying to understand and improve air quality. I, I got a monitor, which at that time was you know, borrowed from a lab, $8,000 instrument, because there weren't any other yeah. anything else on the market. Um, and, and I brought in an air purifier and looked at how long it took for the air in the house to really become clean and at a level I was happy with. And it took too long. And if there was anything going on outside, if the air outside was bad, the air inside was also bad. And so the the initial reaction is, well, I guess I need more air purifiers. I guess I need one of these in every room. Maybe I need two in one room. I need to have them running on max. But then that's a, you know the noise is terrible. Yeah. Uh, but by taking more measurements and actually understanding how the space was performing, I realized that I could either... Add another air purifier, or I could put some sticky tape on the cracks not really the cracks, but sort of the edges of the windows, yeah. which were you know, it was leading to some infiltration of, of uh, pollution from outside. So that was sort of a two dollar option versus a six hundred dollar option, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And the reality was that the results were absolutely identical. So, you know, that that I think is just and, and there were so many so many takeaways that I, I, I got from that, you know, at night. Um, don't leave the bedroom door wide open. Leave it open just a crack. That would allow CO two levels to be low enough, but also make the air purifier inside function to a level that was acceptable. So, all of these, and this is very anecdotal, but we've seen the exact same outcomes in large uh, buildings and companies that we've worked with. We'll, we'll go through the data and see. You know what? You could fix 50% of your problems by having a policy on the opening and closing of doors in meeting rooms. Yeah, uh, It's shocking how, how often you have a, a one hour meeting, there's a five minute break, and then another group comes into the meeting room and it has not, the room has not had the opportunity to essentially be cleaned. Yeah, But simply by opening the door for five minutes, instead of leaving it closed, that meeting room performs completely differently. And that second meeting is far more productive. Yeah. So this should not be taken to say that every company in the world should now leave their meeting room doors open. It's just yeah, that with yeah. the data, you can find what the real problem is. Sometimes it doesn't even cost anything. It's just a super simple policy change.
0: Yeah, open the doors. And and we're actually doing that for a customer of ours. So we've we've integrated with a a, a desk meeting room booking uh, system partner of ours, indoor air quality sensors. They're your sensors, actually. You've got indoor air quality sensors. You've got the room booking system. And you've got Metricus. And what we've done is we're taking the indoor air quality and when the threshold is met for CO2, mm-hmm. the meeting room can't be booked until the CO2 comes oh, back down. And that's if, battle, if, yeah. if someone has it booked, then what will happen is if there's a spare room, they'll be reallocated that room and that room will still be unbookable until the CO2 comes down to a limit. So that's an automated. Great. that's an automated version, right? It's like your sticky tape, but it's for automation. And then what, what, exactly, what, yeah. what's coming up on the screens is, please leave the door open or please open the door and things like that. And then you could go one step further and have a, a, a door open closed sensor that can yeah. send an alert to someone, if the CO2 is high and the door is closed, ask someone in FM or front desk or whoever it is to go and open the door essentially. So, so yeah. that's a low cost solution to, to help increase productivity, right? Liam, we, we are at the end of the main questions. I've got some quick fire questions that I do. Number one, if you had to describe what you do to a high school student, how would you do that?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'd say that basically we help companies to measure what is in the air inside their building. We help them to benchmark it, to analyze it, understand what they can do better, and then to improve it. And ultimately, the goal is to make occupants healthier and happier.
0: Number two, what's the biggest myth you'd like to bust about IAQ and or the industry itself?
1: <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> Rant time, no. <laughs> <laughs> so slight pet peeve, the, the idea that measuring CO2 is good enough or that CO2 somehow represents air quality. Yeah. I cannot tell you the number of posts I see on, on LinkedIn where somebody is holding a, a portable CO2 monitor in a restaurant and saying, or, or anywhere and saying, wow, the air is good. The air is not necessarily good. You're looking at one very thin slice of overall air quality. And in fact, I would be far more concerned about many of the other things in the air than CO2. Yeah. We talk a lot about CO2, but I would be much more concerned about the toxic chemicals, <laughs> the particles, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. CO2 is not the be all and end all. I think, I think part of that comes from, because it's been talked about a lot, especially during COVID as well, but yeah. yeah. It, it, it's not, it's not the CO2 silver bullet. No, sorry. It's not the IAQ silver bullet CO2. Right. Uh, what's something that no one knows about IAQ, but everyone should.
1: The statistic that I always, well, I don't like it, but uh, I, uh, that I share here is that so the, the WHO estimates that there are 7 million premature deaths every year due to air pollution. Wow. That's a huge number. And to put it into context, and this is this is really kind of the shocker, you know, depending on how you look at historical estimates, that is roughly the same number of people that died every single year during the Second World War. So this is something entirely preventable. And, you know, it, it, think for a moment, if we were in the Second World War, what would we be doing to end it? What would governments be doing to say we have to stop this madness? Everything, everything that they could possibly do. Meanwhile, we have the same number of people, um, you know, essentially being taken away by air pollution every year. And often we just sit on our hands, be it individuals, governments, businesses. It's still not necessarily taken seriously. We still think of it as a, um, you know, a a nice to have uh, something that will improve productivity. But like fundamentally, it massively impacts our health. The next
0: question, which follows on from the last one in some respects, because people don't do it. But it's actually not that hard right so the next question is how easy on a scale of one to ten is it for organizations to improve their indoor air quality (laughs)
1: this this may sound like a plug but i honestly do not mean it in this way (laughs) i'd say that if if you have the right tools it's very easy you know it's it's a it's a it's an an eight or a nine out of ten and it goes back to you know we don't want companies to everybody have to have to become an expert in iaq so without the right tools, I think it is actually very hard. It's probably it's you know three out of ten, yeah. um, because there's you need to know so much. There's so much complexity, uh, but there are tools now that can help you do this. So we should really be at you know an, an eight or a nine.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it's not as it's not as hard as people think if you have the right tools and the right data and you're surfacing that data and you you look at it to understand it rather than just look at it to say I'm doing it.
1: Exactly, and if you don't have any data, then you know absolutely it's 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 a one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Where do you start? <laughs> Go in and sniff. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, so the very last question: uh, if you can leave our audience with one thought or idea that they should remember from this show, what would it be?
1: Indoor air quality has a huge impact on how we feel, even if we don't know why. We just feel bad when we are in bad air. Right now we're in a world where you know, the the workplace is, is changing. Hybrid work is important. And so I'd say I'd, the message I'd leave, especially for anybody, um, you know, a building owner, uh, a, an employer, an operator is that IAQ has a huge impact on how we feel. And if improved IAQ will lead, will lead to, you know, employee attraction, retention, uh, higher levels of satisfaction, and so if, if you're doing things like, if you offer seven flavors of cappuccino and 25 flavors of water in your office, but you don't have clean air, I, I would strongly suggest reassessing priorities because these are the things that actually matter. Don't think about the ROI. Focus on, you know, this is a fundamental need. We should all be able to breathe clean air in, you know, in, in, in our workplace. and. You know, if you're still struggling with ROI, send me an email. I'll loan you a monitor so you can <laughs> <laughs> see what your air is like. Uh, you know, and then you can think about what you want to do. You know, no strings attached. Uh, I just think this is something that fundamentally, like, we should all be uh, allowed to breathe non-toxic air in our workplaces because we spend so much time there.
0: William thank you very much for being on. And I, I well, we, we do it all day, every day as well. And we agree completely. And it's. It's always been important. I think COVID brought it to the forefront and gave it a face, but we do spend 90% of our time indoors and a lot of that is at work. Mm -hmm. So it is fundamentally important. So Liam, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on and I'm sure we'll catch up soon.
1: Sounds good. Enjoy the conversation.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Measure Podcast. Before you go, we can see a lot of people are listening and enjoying the podcast, but aren't leaving us a review. So if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Please also leave us some comments. It helps us provide great guests and have great chats. No bullshit, no small talk, but valuable information to help people in their roles. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to the measure now so you don't miss anything.